When it comes to teaching kids and teens about money, practice makes perfect. That's where Greenlight comes in. With a debit card and money app of their own, kids learn to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest. Parents send instant money transfers, create custom chores, and automate allowance, while kids track their spending, set savings goals, and practice money skills they can use today and for life. Get one month free when you sign up at greenlight.com slash podcast. Hello, I'm Jennifer Palmieri here with my wonderful co-host, former Senator Claire McCaskill, and this is the second episode of How to Win 2024. Uh, So Claire, so much has happened in this short week since our first episode, and there's a lot that I can't wait to get your thoughts on. Yeah, I can't really look away from the car wreck that is (laughs) the GOP-led House of Representatives. Chaos reigns in the House. We called our pilot Kevin McCarthy is screwed. I think we can safely say he is still totally screwed. Uh, We'll get into that, plus my favorite topic, Lauren Boebert's public groping session and what all this could mean for the party ahead of 2024. There's also a new Pew poll I want to talk about that highlights just how horribly dissatisfied Americans are with the candidates in this race and our political system at large. There is lots of bad news there, but there's some good news, too. We'll dig into how much that actually matters. And of course, we're going to put a spotlight on the second Republican primary debate coming up next week. But we're going to look at it through the lens of Iowa and whether Donald Trump's recent comments on abortion have provided an opening for Ron DeSantis or any other Republican candidate there and at the debate. So let's dive in. Okay, so we're going to talk about winners and losers. This is how we kick things off with a segment every week, break down sort of the best and worst moments of that week. And so we have concluded that the biggest loser is MAGA, not making America so great. And uh, Kevin McCarthy elevated the MAGA wing of the party, and they have him in a real chokehold now over both government funding and impeachment. And, you know, Claire, he's such a bad negotiator. I mean, normally when you go into a negotiation, you have the principle that you are fighting for, right? And then you have concessions that you are willing to make in order to achieve the underlying principle that you're fighting for. But with McCarthy, there is no principle that unites the Republican caucus in the House, right? Because you have the MAGA wing and then you have the sort of like traditionally conservative wing. They are not aligned in any way. So there is no underlying principle. But then also, you know, you know how to do this. You were a senator for a long time. You were effective. He is not good at dealing with concessions. He's just giving things away to the MAGA base and not getting anything in return. Like, what's your take on this? Well, part of the problem is not only is the Republican Party not aligned, but there is enough Republicans who just want to cause chaos. That's their guiding principle. Right. And we can't really talk about MAGA as the loser this week without mentioning the poster child of MAGA and Boobgate. You know, Lauren Boebert. Did and... you call it Boobgate? I did. I did. <laughs> you remember, we get to say stuff here we don't say on TV. So the idea that she, along with a few others, you know, is the face of this movement, this was a very bad week for that movement. 
because she lied, she was disruptive, she was disrespectful, she was doing things in a public place that people shouldn't do in a public place, much less a sitting congresswoman yeah. uh, should do in a public place. And by the way, those visual images, I can't imagine anything that was more viral over the last week than the images, those black and white stark images of her in that theater. And a lot of people saw it, and I guarantee you, before her election cycle is over, every single person in her congressional district will have seen it. So I think he's in big trouble. Uh, he may get a deal. Right. But I don't think he'll get a deal without Democrats. And then the big question for him is, we talked about last week, can he stay as speaker if he ends up having to have Democratic votes to keep the government open? I don't see how he keeps it open without them. And I don't really see how he stays speaker with them. And it may seem like, just to go back to the Bobert thing, it may seem like, oh, it's a small thing, but it's really not because it's the kind of thing that breaks through, certainly the kind of thing that people in her district see. She barely won re-election this time. McCarthy's got a razor-thin majority in the House. So, you know, she loses. He's in big trouble. And then, you know, it contaminates everything else that they are trying to do. And then here comes, as McCarthy's trying to put together a deal to keep the government open um, so that it doesn't shut down in a week. Donald Trump weighs in and says, I don't want a funding bill that doesn't defund all the investigations against me, right? This is why it's not a great week for MAGA, because like I talked about last week, the circular cul-de-sac and McCarthy is well in it of you can't get any traction without MAGA. But then when you let them take over, when you uh, kowtow to them, they put you in a situation like you're in now with Trump, where he's actually controlling the Republican caucus. And I don't know. I don't know that they can even pass anything in the House, but we will see. But the kinds of things that break through and stick, like the Lauren Boebert moment, the things that are on a, a slow, long burn in terms of all the dysfunction you see on the MAGA, we think that the winner this week is Joe, Joe Biden. Biden. Talk about like what we saw from him this week that we think Yeah, I think he had a good week. Good over the he, long term. Yeah, he elevated the discussion. Right. He looked strong on a world stage at the UN. It was all about American values. It was all about standing up to bullies and bad guys. It was all about reinforcing democracy and freedom-loving democracies. And this is something that I think really appeals to the voters he has to have to win the Electoral College, especially in the tipping point states that will determine whether he becomes president again. And I, I think one thing I really want to point out, everyone is just wringing their hands about his approval numbers. His approval on the economy as a policy issue is way higher than Obama's was at this exact moment in time in 2011. And I might also add that his favorability is only one point lower. I know. You know, Obama's favorability at this point in time in the cycle last time was 43. Right. And Biden's is 42. So everyone just needs to take a deep breath and quit thinking, oh, he's so unpopular, he's hooked so bad. <laughs> That's just not true. Um, Obama was in the exact same place, in fact, even worse, on the economy, and obviously had a very good year in 2012. And it was a similar situation where the economy was getting better, but not fast enough. Same kind of situation that Biden is facing. And, you know, we talked last week about his economic numbers in the polling, why those people continue to feel like they, even while the plan is working, they still have questions about how things are going on in their own life. And that's reflecting his numbers now. But what you said about elevating the issues 
This White House is really good at commander-in-chief moments. So does Biden's U.N. speech really break through to every American? No, but there's a drumbeat of this. We saw it when he went to Kiev. We saw him at the G7 in Europe this summer, a really big commander-in-chief moment. Uh, This week with Americans that were being held hostage in Iran, with them coming home. These commander-in-chief moments are painting a picture of strong leadership over the long term, right? You know, because Trump does such a good job of distracting us. The White House has to be laying down tracks all the time of how Biden is a strong leader. And you saw them do that this week with all of the commander-in-chief, U.N., international leader. And also he took on age directly at a uh, Democratic Party event, which I thought was smart. I was like, yeah, they're going after me for my age. But you know what my age means? It means wisdom and experience. In the midterms in 2022, I remind people, economy was not doing as well as it is now, and Democrats still won because they went back to those sort of hard, core democracy American values issues, you know, what's on the line in terms of democracy being threatened. And that's what Biden did this week, both with commander in chief and in elevating the uh, presidential campaign to those issues. So over the long term, that's a win. Yep. He had a good week. And they're going to be disciplined about this. And and frankly, it's the most important thing for the voters that they have to get. Um, We all have to remember that At this point, and all the way up until November of next year, the focus of a smart campaign is on the voters you have to have that are not necessarily in your corner now. Right. Um, You got to keep the ones that are in your corner enthusiastic so they show up. But that persuasion piece is huge, and that should revolve around the strength and the normalcy and the nice guy that Joe Biden represents. Yeah, and you have an interesting jump ball. Go with the jump ball. Yeah, this this is the strike, uh, the UAW strike. This is one of those that could go either way. It could be a disaster if this strike lingers, if there is no quick resolution. And by quick, I mean within a month. It really could begin impacting the entire economy, which falls all at Biden's knees in front of him. It would hurt, I think, the positive progress unions have made under the Biden administration. I just think it could be really, really bad. On the other hand, if they get a good deal, a a much better deal, if they get rid of some of the unfairness, some of the concessions they made during the auto meltdown that never really were addressed in bargaining after the fact, then it's good. It's good for the country. It's good for workers. It's good for Joe Biden. And it's most importantly, good for Um, families that earn their living making cars in in America. So I'm a little worried about it, honestly. Yeah, I know. I do think it could go either way. I'm fascinated that Trump is going in front of the UAW audience. The leadership of UAW has said clearly they are not for Donald Trump, that he's a disaster. But we all know that sometimes the rank and file doesn't follow the leadership of unions. So this will be interesting to see how this plays out. I kind of hope he gets booed. Is that bad of me? I hope he gets booed. I, I, no, it would be it would be great if he gets booed. There are some like big existential issues at stake with the UAW strike that I don't think the strikers will be moved necessarily just by Trump showing up. It's a smart thing to do to distract from the Republican debate. You know, it looks like a smart, savvy general election move while his Republican primary opponents are fighting each other on a debate stage that he refuses to go to. Like, yeah, that was a smart thing to do. I just I think that 
What's at stake in the strike in terms of of wages where uh, these workers are seeking a 40 percent increase in wages because that's what the CEOs are making in terms of how much their incomes have gone up. And these workers have not seen a wage increase in a long time. Those kind of fundamental questions apply to workers across the board. So there's a lot at stake there. It is definitely a jump ball. Okay, so there's a new Pew poll out that makes my heart hurt over how dissatisfied Americans are with all things politics and political parties and the way their government is operating. We'll get to that right after the break and hopefully find some silver linings in some dark clouds. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. When it comes to teaching kids and teens about money, practice makes perfect. That's where Greenlight comes in. With a debit card and money app of their own, Kids learn to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest. Parents send instant money transfers, create custom chores, and automate allowance, while kids track their spending, set savings goals, and practice money skills they can use today and for life. Get one month free when you sign up at greenlight.com slash podcast. Welcome back. Let's dig into those Pew poll numbers that show just how little confidence Americans have in their presidential candidates and our political system. So I've got to say here that I read through this poll. And first of all, everybody needs to like take a deep breath again, because it's not like Americans have ever said, gosh, we really love politics and we really love (laughs) elections and we really love all the candidates and our political party is wonderful. So this is not as bad as it looks when you first glance at it. But I will tell you the one thing that jumped out at me, and of course, this is deeply personal, but (laughs) the worst part of this poll I found was that the majority of Americans believe that all or most of the people who run for office are doing so for selfish reasons and to make money. Yeah. That just kills me. Because, you know, I spent 40 years in elective office. And yeah, there were some jerks. And yeah, there were a few people that did things they shouldn't have done and they were prosecuted for it and went to jail. But the vast majority of the people I served with at local government and state government and statewide office and federal uh, were good people and cared deeply about the country and the people they represented. So it is so sad to me to see how cynical people are right now about everyone who holds public office in the long run, Jen. What's really scary about that is who are we going to get to run? Are we just going to have Lauren Boberts and and nuts that run for office? Are the Mitt Romneys of the world and the Olympia Snows of the world and the Barbara Mikulskis of the world, are they going to run? in the future. And we got to worry about that because the quality of our government depends on the quality of people that hold office. 
The good news is that in some of these down ballot races, you know, there's groups like Run for Something that encourages millennials and Gen Z to run for office and supports them in doing so, right? There's groups like Emily's List that encourage women to run, and women are running in bigger numbers than ever. And I know one thing in this Pew poll that it showed is that young people in particular are really dissatisfied, but they think it means they can't turn away, which is great, right? They can't turn away from participating in the political system. And sure, people think that politicians are in it for the money. I mean, partly because of the insane grift on the Republican side, particularly in the MAGA world, the people that are helping to prop up Trump because they can make money off of their podcast or selling coffee as Don Jr. is now doing. Or, you know, I just I went to CPAC, the conservative fair, basically, that happens every year. And it was a real eye-opener into seeing how many people are trying to make money off of MAGA. But let me just go through some of the other numbers in this poll. 63% of Americans say they are dissatisfied with the candidates for the presidency currently in the race. 65% say they always or often feel exhausted when thinking about politics. Uh, Yeah. Me too. Doesn't mean we don't have to do it because we do. 28% of the public dislikes both political parties, the highest share in three decades, and just 4% of the American adults think the political system is working extremely well or very well. Yeah, I don't think it's working well either, but it does mean that we do still have to participate. And as bad as these numbers are, people have turned out to vote in huge numbers ever since Trump got elected, 17, 18, 20, and 22. And I got to listen to some focus groups this week of people in Michigan who were unhappy with both choices on the Democratic side and the Republican side. And these are people who have supported Joe Biden before. And when you push them and you said Donald Trump is going to be the Republican nominee, which they did not want to believe, they understood they needed to turn out and vote. So these are bad numbers, but I feel like it's reflective of how bad the the problem is people still will turn out. Yeah. And the best thing in the poll was the majority of the people polled in this effort said that voting does affect the country's future. So there still is a majority of people in the poll that understand that, yeah, they may not like the choices. They may think politics suck, but they do understand that voting has an impact, that voting matters. Uh, I also thought it was really interesting in this poll, something that I wanted to bring up, that the majority of the Democrats and independents, not so much on the Republicans, but the the, the people that we care about, those independents that are going to win this yeah. election for Democrats, they are worried about people's rights being impacted, being determined by what state they live in. And that's mm. a real Dobbs impact. Um, yep. That means that there are people who see that we, because of the Dobbs decision, because of Roe v. Wade being overturned, and because of the Supreme Court's position on gun regulations, that there really is uh, different worlds within the United States. And I think, think that's okay with most people, except when it starts impacting basic rights and freedoms. Um, a, a woman's right to decide her future as it relates to her reproductive health, particularly in those states where the government is going to mandate women carry uh, a, a child to term that was a product of rape or incest. Um, that is the case in my state and many states now. And you yeah. can see that bubbling up. And I just think we really can't let one episode of this thing pass without mentioning Dobbs because I do still think it's going to be the animating force in November 2024. 
I mean, that is that's a very telling stat from that poll. And it means people are paying attention. Um, we're going to move to our spotlight segment. We do this every week where we drill down on an issue that may or may not be getting the attention it deserves. So second Republican primary debate is coming up next week. But you have the smart idea of let's look at this through the lens of Iowa. And speaking of Dobbs, whether Donald Trump's comments, um, the interview that he did with Kristen Welker on Meet the Press last week about abortion, where he said that the six-week abortion ban that was passed in Iowa in Ron DeSantis's Florida, in a lot of other states. Uh, he's described that as a terrible thing. What do you think about that as it relates? Because Iowa, just to set the stage on Iowa, any smart Republican who's trying to stop Donald Trump understands if it's going to happen, and it's very difficult to do so, it has to start in Iowa. You have to beat him there. Well, here's the deal. If Trump is moderating on abortion right now, he 100% believes he has Iowa locked up. And by the way, right. it does look like he has Iowa locked up. I mean, let's look and at And he lost Iowa in 2016, he just did. remind folks. But if you look so. at the numbers, I mean, just this week, a new poll, a Fox poll, has Trump up 31. 31 points in Iowa. Um, his average... In Iowa. In right, Iowa. Which he, his average which, poll advantage and all the polls that have been taken in Iowa is 34.4. That's how far ahead he is. So he really believes he can afford to lose five, six, seven points and still have a commanding win in Iowa. And he may be right. So let's preview the debate a little bit in the lens yep. of Iowa. I think everyone who watches the debate before it begins, needs to think, okay, they are just looking at Iowa because that's what these candidates are doing. Poor New Hampshire. New Hampshire's yeah. getting left in the dust, right? Well, except they for all Chris believe, Christie. Except right. for Chris, Chris Christie. Chris Christie's theory is like, I'll win New Hampshire and then that like revives my campaign. He's not focused on Iowa. But everyone else, if they don't win Iowa, they have no theory even, let alone like a, r a real chance of overtaking Trump. Yeah, winning Iowa begins a conversation about someone else. If uh, he wins by double digits in Iowa, even if he wins by much less than the polling is showing now. Um, and people don't realize the amount of money. If you don't live in Iowa, you don't realize what's going on there. These candidates are there yeah. constantly. They are crisscrossing the state. Uh, they've made dozens and dozens of appearances all over Iowa. And the airwaves are full of ads. I mean, there's been millions and millions of dollars run, both trying to define candidates as ones that Republican Iowans would like. And also, I don't think people realize how much Trump has spent in Iowa trashing DeSantis on the airwaves. So yeah, if you don't have... live in Iowa, you don't feel it. But this attempt to overturn Trump begins and probably ends in Iowa. And just, for example, when you're watching MSNBC and you see the Republican Accountability Project doing, oh, a great anti-Trump ad about how he can't win or he can't be trusted uh, with the presidency, all of those ads are running in Iowa. That is where we hear like, oh, there's a super PAC with $70 million trying to stop Trump. All of those ads are running in Iowa. That is what Iowans are seeing. Ron DeSantis is going to go to all 99 counties. Trump just announced yesterday, because I think Trump wants everybody in Iowa to know he's not taking it for granted. In the next five weeks, he's going to be there six times. It's not that much, actually, but like he's trying to package it so that it seems like a lot. But even with 
all of the money that's been spent against Trump there, he still has this 30-point lead. I actually did a little research on this because I was curious what this looked like in Iowa compared to 2020. So Mm -hmm. just to give perspective, at this point in the cycle, which would have been 2019, there had been $2.5 million spent on the airwaves in Iowa. This year, at the end of July, over $20 million had already been spent. So that gives you some perspective. And this is July. (laughs) I mean, the caucuses are in January, and they're not moving anybody. They're not moving anybody. And of course, we saw Bloomberg spend huge money in Iowa. We saw Steyer spend huge money in Iowa, and it didn't do them any good. So uh, I think that this thing is pretty solid at this point, and he can afford to offend some of the evangelicals by pretending that he is somehow now a pro-choice advocate because we got Dobbs because of Trump. Donald Trump is responsible for Dobbs. Yes. When I heard Trump's comments about abortion, I was alarmed because he is trying to appear to be moderating his position on abortion. And so, as you said, we're always going to talk about Dobbs. Like, this is what Trump actually said in that Meet the Press interview. He took credit for overturning Roe. He talked about a national ban and made it clear that he would sign a national abortion ban. He tried to obfuscate that by talking about a lot of, you know, different kinds of compromises to get to a number of how many weeks. That is still Donald Trump deciding a women's health care decision and remind people that this is a man that said that women should be punished for having abortions and, you know, credit the Biden campaign. They already have an ad on the air reminding everyone that Trump said that women should be punished if they had an abortion. I think he has the room to do this. I was a very religiously conservative state. They're not going to like this. But just like I remember he's the guy that overturned Roe, they remember he's the guy that overturned Roe. And I think that they will still back him. But what do you think this means for the debate next week, right? Like, what do you think DeSantis and Haley and, you know, all those people who, like, their last-ditch chance is Iowa— What will they be doing in the debate and specifically around abortion? Well, it's interesting. You know, I think they will try to point out his inconsistencies. It will be interesting to see if they go after him or they go after DeSantis. Are they still jockeying for number two with the hope that somehow before uh, January that things will shift? I I think at this point they've got to go big and go bold because these numbers are just— I mean, this really, he's getting to the point that he is uncatchable unless something dramatic happens. So I'm looking for somebody to try to do something dramatic. I'm not sure if it'll work, but somebody probably will do something dramatic in terms of trying to really call out Trump. And DeSantis, in the last debate, I think he felt like I I can hang back some, have a decent performance, show everyone that I can perform well, but I don't really need to go after Trump. That looks desperate and also people like Trump. And so maybe it's not a smart move. But I just don't think that he has that luxury anymore. I mean, there is a New Hampshire poll that has him in fifth place dropped 13 points in the last six weeks since a, a poll was taken. So I I do feel like he's going to have to be more aggressive. And then, you know, Haley, who was a big breakout star in the first debate, partly because she also, although 
I'm not going to let her get away with it because she never articulated an actual moderated view on abortion rights. She just tried to make it seem like she did. Is she going to try to appeal to moderates on abortion in this debate? When Iowa's on the line and they have a six-week abortion ban, the governor, Kim Reynolds of Iowa, came out to uh, sort of knock down Trump's comments about uh, a six-week abortion ban being a terrible thing. Those folks on the Republican debate stage are going to be in a tough spot on abortion. Hey, you know what, though? Here's the thing. I'll bet you a cheeseburger that Mm. Vivek is still really, really obnoxious. (laughs) <laughs> I'm going to be so into a Vivek Chris Christie takedown. I will be for oh, that. You know, he just is, you know, and I, I get it that he wanted to be that guy. But gosh, does he realize that most women can't stand that guy? I mean, oh, we go out of our way to avoid yeah. that oh, arrogant I jerk. Know. And I, uh, I think he will once again rise to the top of everyone thinking he is the arrogant jerk in the field. Yeah, there's so many layers of what Trump has unleashed in the world. And part of it is guys thinking that that's a winner. But fortunately, women keep voting and letting us know that it is not. Um, But something people should understand about Iowa is the last time the person who eventually became the Republican nominee won Iowa was George W. Bush in 2000. (laughs) So John McCain lost Iowa. Mitt Romney lost Iowa. Donald Trump lost Iowa. Yeah, and let's remember the comeback kids in New Hampshire, Jen. We had comeback Clinton. We had comeback Carter. We had comeback kids in New Hampshire. So uh, Donald Trump was a comeback kid in New Hampshire. Yeah, yeah. So it ain't it ain't over after Iowa, but it may be in this one. (laughs) It ain't over. It you know Trump can lose Iowa and still be the nominee, but I don't know that the others can lose Iowa and have a hope of overtaking Trump. That's a perfect summation. Thank you, Jen. And by the way, in the winners and losers, I forgot to mention that the Chiefs were a winner and so were your <gasps> Giants. Uh, we'll stay tuned and see how this weekend goes. But thanks, everybody, for listening. We really appreciate it and hope you'll tune in again next week. The senior producer for this show is Alicia Conley. Our technical director is Bryson Barnes. Cedric Wilson is the audio engineer. Jamaris Perez is the associate producer. Aisha Turner is the executive producer for MSNBC Audio. And Rebecca Cutler is the senior vice president for content strategy at MSNBC. Search for How to Win 2024 wherever you get your podcasts and follow the series. When it comes to teaching kids and teens about money, Practice makes perfect. That's where Greenlight comes in. With a debit card and money app of their own, kids learn to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest. Parents send instant money transfers, create custom chores, and automate allowance, while kids track their spending, set savings goals, and practice money skills they can use today and for life. Get one month free when you sign up at greenlight.com slash podcast.